So I want to have it on my terms and having a vulnerable conversation in an unvulnerable way was quite important to me. I've had someone tell me my reality and my truth and my story for years. So this show was me going, no, this is what actually happened to me. I lived it. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out Mopad. nobody knows. Mopad. There is a risk as always, that we will hear in the background foxes screaming. I have five foxes in my garden at the moment, my shared shitty garden that mainly belongs to the foxes now because they've just taken over and they are screaming a lot. And a few days ago, I was looking out my window and I saw one of them kill mole and eat a squirrel and that was traumatizing. So I, I am a bit upset with them at the moment but I also think that they could not give more of a shit I have the garden door open so that they can at any point if they want to come in and say hi uh, there is a cat that has been in a few times and if you've listened to this before then you know that I'm not exactly a cat person but even so I'm about three three something months into self-isolation living alone and it has pushed me into becoming a I'll take anything person. So I obs- I'm obsessed with trying to get this cat into my tiny studio flat and then accidentally close the door and just make it love me. But it seems like a bit of a, a wild uh, a wild soul, so I don't think it wants to be contained. Do any of us want to be contained? That is the question. Hi, thank you for listening to this episode. It is going to be another two-parter, and I don't know why that's happening. I think maybe it's just... Maybe we're just wanting to talk a lot with people. <laughs> maybe we've maybe we've all reached the point where we just can't get it all down into an hour. I mean, I assume the next couple of episodes will not be two-parters, because I think maybe, maybe two in a row is enough, or four in a row... But this is um, my conversation with Kiri Pritchard-McLean, who I feel like you must know her. She's um, a comedian. And she, interestingly, uh, when we started our conversation, she said, oh, have you also been doing stand-up for about 10 years? And actually, on the 22nd of June, it is my 10-year anniversary from the day I started doing comedy. So it's exactly 10 years. Wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, I remember starting comedy and then looking at the older comedians being like, oh my God, he has done comedy for eight years. There's probably nothing left to learn from him and that he has reached the peak and you will... <laughs> and now I'm two years over that and I'm like, oh no, I still know nothing. Anyways, Speaking of, just quickly speaking of comedy and shows, I'm going to just pluck this before I get uh, right back to telling you a bit about Kiri and this two-parter. I am doing my first first ever live stream show. It is on the 25th of June at 9pm UK time. If you go to sophiehagen.com forward slash stream show, 
then you, oh, maybe, I think maybe it's also the front page if you go to sophiehagen.com. But if you go to that, you can get tickets. It's only seven pounds. And uh, then you can watch the show. And if you buy tickets, if you can't make that specific time, the link will, the stream will be available to you for another 24 hours after. And it's called How to Be Happy Fat, because I had to think of a title real quick. It's going to be, I'm going to talk a lot about fatness and I have loads of different topics on that. I, you know, um, suggestions to ideas to how to learn how to love yourself and love your fat. And I want to talk about exercise and fatness and being non-binary and fatness. And oh, there's so much to talk about. And I'm going to talk about as much as I possibly can cram into an hour. It's going to be sprinkled with stories. Uh, I, I almost want to say funny stories, uh, <laughs> at least fun stories or entertaining stories. Uh, from my life uh yeah i hope you'll listen uh watch buy engage you know what i mean uh, i'm very excited about that also the self-care packages are on sale again so vegan.com forward slash care c-a-r-e and it is uh, my book signed it is my two stand-up shows um shimmer shatter and dead baby frog the download codes, and it's a handwritten note from me. And also, just for your information, I just got stickers. So there will be stickers, and I will just tell you, they're exciting stickers. Okay? Okay. All of that is on my website. I'm very, very excited. I'm going to start doing these Facebook Lives um, to... Almost like a, like open mics, almost like new material nights where I'm going to try and see how... It's, yeah, it's like t testing out stuff for that show. So if you're not already liking me on Facebook, maybe you want to do that and yeah, see what that's about. Now, back to Kiri and this two-parter. So we started out talking about, for I think approximately an hour. So the first part will mainly be about... Um, her last show was it her second show was the one in between no I think it was the last show <laughs> so, so, sorry Kiri uh, anyway it's called uh, Victim Complex which is about um, emotional abuse and gaslighting and we actually ended up talking about that uh, not the show but the topic in itself and you know the writing of the show and all of that for about the first hour or so and I don't think either of us planned on talking about it for so long, but it was very, very interesting. Dare I say important. Then in the second half, which will be out next week, we talked about, I mean, the whole idea of having Kiri on is uh, in in the light of everything that has been going on is a, and sort of shadowing the conversation I had with your fat friend last week. It's this idea of, putting our whiteness on the table and putting our, you know, in, you know, air quotes, activism in conversation and actually talking about it. Um, I think, and it was, it was some, it was, I mean, one of my friends who, uh, who said to me, like, you should, you know, have you, have you considered just talking to white people about whiteness? And I was like, yeah, this is a fucking good point, right? Like, that's a really good point. Uh, instead of 
I don't know. Try. I mean, I guess using someone's trauma for my own education. I don't know. It's a com. It's a very very complicated situation. But uh, Kiri is one of these people. I want to say sort of like me who at least tries to do the right thing. Like we both wanna. We both want to do the right thing. We we're both trying very hard, and it was valuable, I think, to talk to her about sort of what that's like and what the the complications of the internet and you know how you know mental health and what you can actually do and what helps the most and well no <laughs> no spoilers but that's the second half that which is what just we just kept talking about it so it ended up being 2 hours so that's going to come out next week so first first week um uh, emotional abuse next week um doing well doing good trying to do good so i think that's all for now yes i think that's it i think that's it for now um uh yeah i hope you enjoy it uh i hope you like it i hope that you are all well and that you are coping despite you know the the good old pandemic oh yeah for anyone listening in the in the far distant future uh this was all recorded during the pandemic over the computer uh so Kiri was far away from me as we were talking i think that's all you need to know now please enjoy my conversation with the lovely Kiri Pritchard McLean <laughs> great by the way for someone who sent me like a message an hour ago saying they're in bed you look like irritatingly well put together <laughs> it's i've been in bed for about five days and now i'm doing a i'm obs- currently obsessed with skincare so i'm like just looking at my face a lot yeah that's my new that's my sort of thing right now yeah. <laughs> like what i have to focus on to forget about the world do you know what? weirdly it's something that a skincare is something that i've managed to like I find it very hard to take time for myself. And so I've managed to repackage it into like a job I need to do for my job. And it's a way of doing like stealthily giving yourself like self-care, but, you know, doing something just for you, but me like, Oh, it's because I need to, you know, in case I'm on camera off or stuff, but it's like, no, I just like putting stuff on my face that I bought. (laughs) Well, I saw this, this is my new thing is I have like a, an oil based cleanser. And then you have to massage it into your skin for half an hour. And then it, like, it is, because I'm the same, because I, I don't like, I think it's so boring standing in front of the mirror in your bathroom, just like uh, doing all the things. But then I'm like, oh, what? so I can just sit and touch my face <laughs> while I watch some annoying <laughs> TV show and it looks amazing. So that's my new thing. Great. I that's tell a good everyone. Tip. I want to tell everyone about just oil cleanser on your face your um your, you know that beef is it wagyu beef where they just like massage it and wank it off and make it drink beer and it's going to taste really nice so what i'm saying is you taste delicious you. <laughs> but i've said that for years anyway i know you it's, it was on my first french poster <laughs> oh. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean most people will know who you are at this point but do you want to introduce yourself it's been a oh, while yeah. since you were on yeah, years, I think. Um, yeah. So my name is Kiri Pritchard-McLean and I am a stand-up comedian. Yeah? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how, so where are we meeting you right now? In what, 
obviously this is being recorded during uh, the the pandemic. I was about to say which one. I, th- I hope this is the pandemic. And uh, so are you self-isolating? Where are you at in your headspace? Have you just... Yeah, so we are, I don't know, what are we like, 11 or 12 weeks into lockdown, I think. So I am in Wales. Uh, this is where my family is. So it's where I was going to be anyway, working um, for the tour. So I came here. I'm with my partner, um, with um, my brother. And yeah, we're just sort of, um, we're very, very lucky because it's a farm. So there's lots of space and there's always stuff to do, which is um, being like a workaholic and have all your work completely disintegrating has been difficult. So at least there's other stuff, you know, I can physically be doing. Um, Yeah, and I guess it's uh, fluctuating. (laughs) This is the the most difficult my brain has been to inhabit in absolutely years since I've sort of like uh, talked about myself as being well. Um, this is definitely the hardest it's been because of, well, there's just, there's, um, there's, if you, I think if you're a conscious engaged person, I don't know why you wouldn't be unraveling mentally at the moment, <laughs> let alone the idea of you being self-employed as well. And also of the group of self-employed people who will be last back to work. It's, it's a, it's a tricky old place to be, but also like hashtag blessed. My family is all healthy. My partner's family, someone has COVID-19 and hopefully they're going to be fine, but we don't really know at the moment. Um, so yeah, we're, you know, and I'm not using a food bank, you know, I'm definitely in the lucky percentage. Um, and, and that's another weird thing to deal with yourself, isn't it? That you're, that you're telling yourself you're lucky all the time whilst feeling like, you've never felt before it's a very strange thing so that is yeah. that's where you found me <laughs> yeah it's hard it's, it's hard to um you kind of end up realizing how lucky you are to even be having this job that you've now sort of lost temporarily yeah. hopefully you Time know you're like oh my god I took a lot for granted that I could just do this for a living mm-hmm. yeah and just so like I don't I've always since I've been doing it about 10 years now we started roughly I think maybe at roughly about the same time, I think you and yeah, I. Yeah, ten years. Yeah. yeah. So it's that weird thing where, for the first time in my life, and only because I had a really good year last year, um, and things like relationships in my life changed, I have, um, I haven't had to have money as the second or first thing I'm thinking and worrying about, um, which is amazing and mm. just frees up so much of like physical, almost physical weight on you, and definitely headspace. So it's just really great. And then that that sneaking back in is a very difficult thing because I'd always told myself as well, even though I know that like it's really irritating because I have this thing of like you just work hard. That's all it's about is you just work hard. But I know also knows it, it plays into loads of unhelpful stuff about like we are more than our work and I'm really bad for fetishizing productivity, which is like and then I'm also a socialist. So it's like those things don't shouldn't mix together, but I can't help like my self-worth comes from that. And money is because we grew up like all the arguments at home were about money. Um, and then I've grown up with such a conflicted like class, like I'm not that gang, I'm not that gang, I'm not, you know, anything that like money is a huge focal point. For the first time ever, it was started to dissipate. And it was just like a thing that I could know oh, if I, if I want to buy that thing, it's going to be okay. Like as long as I haven't got like a Fabergé egg addiction or something like that, you know, <laughs> it's all going to be okay. And I can actually start like long-term planning for things. Like, oh, 
let's go on holiday and I'll be able to afford that. You know, just things like that and all that disappearing from you in a matter of months. Like I'm, I'm still okay because a huge thing, weird thing we don't talk about is um, people are so bad at paying comedians. I imagine it's all freelancers mm. that I am okay because I'm still owed, some money dropped in, but I'm still owed at least six grand so from like having done junglers seven yeah, years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, from doing work that no one is paying me for. So um, I have made like, I know it's so, do you know what? I know it's so gross to talk about money and I hate people who do it. But I also think that is part of the problem that our industry is so class, like this yeah. whole class thing of like, oh, let's not talk about money. It's a little bit vulgar. And well, like, I think this is also just a British thing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's I think not talking about money is mainly good for people with a lot of money. You know, oh, let's yeah. just not talk about what we make, you know, because then, when you actually talk about what you make or anything to do with money, we realize who's paid more and for what yeah. work. And like, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. It, I'm all for talking about money. Totally. Well, to talk about money then, since lockdown happened, I think I've made, um, I think I've made maybe just under two grand, which, you know, when you're touring, you would comfortably make in a week. Like that's just the the fact of it. That's why you do it. And um, because also I always work on the day on other stuff as well or write on shows or do whatever and um, so to have that like whipped away when also you're kind of planning for your future and then gone like well, the tour's gone all the work's gone and um, and yeah it's just really difficult but your life doesn't stop costing money your mortgage mm. doesn't stop co- I know you can take mortgage breaks but you know if you've got PR your PR still needs pay. you know all the stuff that makes it happen that you also have to kind of keep the balloon in the air with so yeah it's really difficult to have my brain I really resent having money in my brain again um because I have all sorts of like unhealthy uh hangovers to do with money from my childhood and from like previous relationships that I'm like just not very good at dealing with it like I will always rather if we go out with friends for years and years and years it was a really bad habit that I would just go I'll get this um because I found that way easier than watching people split the bill I found it incredibly uncomfortable um because also that thing of like when some people like oh let's just split eight ways and I know there's three people sat at that Mm. table who have allocated the amount mm. of money and they're like I didn't have wine <laughs> but like it's such an important thing because you've been um, that person so you know how it feels and like yeah. to have someone say I, I got this it's like, <laughs> like yeah more or less exactly yeah more or less exactly 10 years ago bef- like a month before I started doing comedy I went out with comedians for a drink and I remember having like five pounds in my account and they went out for this ex- and then they're like let's go get this fancy meal and I just I couldn't stay away from them because it was like comedians and comedy and I was just sitting there looking at this menu and I was like, oh my God, I cannot afford, like I can't even afford a starter, but I have to get something or it's embarrassing. And then this semi-famous comedian was like, what do you want? And I was like, oh no, I think I'll just have some bread. And he was like, what do you want? It's on me. And I was like, like, and that for him, that was what, 20 pounds or something. Yeah, but for yeah. me, that was, the, and you want to be that person when you're in that position. Yeah, de- yeah, definitely. And it, it's not even like the, to be I always feel uncomfortable because I I'm also going to people think I'm being gauche and being like look at me I'm gonna buy everyone <laughs> dinner but it's literally because that whole act of people handing over it's like it just makes me feel so uncomfortable yeah so I just I'm and that's definitely a place where I'm at it's like angry at how much money is the thing I'm even thinking about at the moment mm. I'm I've I've I, <laughs> I feel like I've come full circle with this internal 
battle against my mother because she's you know grew up very poor so for her it was you know we had the cheap milk and if you like the, the expensive milk which was not expensive it was you know like a luxury thing that we would just never have so I protested that internally by being like, I'm always going to get the most expensive milk possible. <laughs> like, I'm going to buy fresh fruit. Oh, what are you going to do? And now I'm like, oh, oh, no. She, yeah, she did that for a reason, didn't she? It wasn't like a punishment. It was <laughs> not, And now I find myself going, that's so cheap for milk. Why wouldn't you just pick the cheap one? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, full circle. Yeah, I'm back. That's karma, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, isn't it that's a terrifying point where you're like god my mum although she's giving me a lot of bullshit she was right about loads of stuff <laughs> yeah you reach a point when you start realizing that when you're a teenager in your 20s you realize oh my god grown-ups can be wrong about things <gasps> and that's a huge that's a huge like oh no and that means no one knows what they're doing and oh mm. what what do I need to trust but the even worse point is when you realize oh no they were right about some things that's so annoying <laughs> This is so annoying. Yeah, you see them first. You see them as people, so flawed, Mm. and then you see them as like, oh, people who are getting it right, and that's really irritating. (laughs) They can't do anything. Like if if anyone listening is a parent, you can't do. There's no right way of doing this. (laughs) Sorry, you're going to be annoying regardless. (laughs) Um, So what what are you? um, I'm trying to remember when you were on the last time and what sort of has happened since. But I feel like everything has happened since. Yeah, I think we spoke. Uh, I was trying to pinpoint when it was. I think it was after my second show because it was also when I had like, which is about the time I lost a shed ton of weight because it was after a breakup. And I'd just done an interview in The Guardian where I was talking about the show that I was four dates into touring um, because you were asking about that. Because I was originally, I was I was in the middle of writing the show about non-offending paedophiles. Yes, I remember asking you about that. Yeah, but then what happened is, the show I ended up writing was just happening in my life at the time. So I kept trying to write this, you know, I'd been like the show I'm touring. I've been basically trying to write for like fucking three years. Um, but stuff kept like pushing into my life, pushing into my life. And the only way I could deal with it was taking it on stage. So that's, that's where we met in my head. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. So since then you wrote this whole other show, which I don't think we, we can't have talked about that at all because you were in the middle of it. Right. Yeah, and half of the stuff that was ended up being in the show I didn't know about. Yeah. Um, I was just, yeah, so that show changed my life. And it's, I always mm. think it's like, you know, when you watch stuff with people and they're like, this blank changed my life. Mm-hmm. And you're like, nothing, no one event. But like that changed it personally and professionally in so ways I couldn't have anticipated. Personally, how? Um, also the show was called victim complex and it was about, um, gaslighting. So personally it changed it because, um, it was, I'd, I'd say just about the most unhealthy way to do it, but it was like quite a cathartic act of writing it, doing the fringe with it, having that scrutinized by critics and pontificated over by strangers and then touring it. Because what happens is when reviews come out and tell people what it's about, people who have been through similar things come to see it. And then it opens up a lot of, you know, big conversations and big amount of responsibility to you as the person who's put that out into the world. So that is a personally, and also I like part of the story is, is become, come into this other relationship. Um, and I guess, yeah, a huge one um, personally is, uh, I talk about it in the show, but a relationship that sort of comes out of this like hellscape of, <laughs> of being a gaslit um, 
is just a brilliant thing. I, I always like resented any depiction of someone who um, becomes more fulfilled from having a relationship. And I'm not sure that that's exactly what I'm trying to say, but definitely um, when you have no belief in yourself and, you know, feel like you can barely hold yourself up having someone and also and the person that people come to from advice and the person who takes care of stuff for people to have someone just sort of like scoop you up and be like, I got this. I'm going to take care of you. Like, and I was so unwell when we got together. So sick. Um, I'm amazed he weathered the storm and um, like, ha- like lo- love that he's still here now and just feels like a really uh, it's a, a amazing thing of being in an abusive relationship, which is always every single time my head goes, no, you weren't because you weren't punched. So like taking ownership over that language has been a difficult thing. Um, so t- uh, taking like, yeah, coming out of an abusive relationship one of the things I'm glad that has come out of it is I'm now like, I don't think no one would ever treat me like that again. I feel quite confident in that. Cause that is also the worry is that you will, Oh, I'm going to perpetuate this and I'm not going to know how to be treated well. Um, but thankfully, um, my partner is like an actual angel sent from the gods, <laughs> which he would get really annoyed if he heard me say, because uh, I'm always like, to him especially in the beginning I was like just get really upset because I'm like you're perfect you're you know like and then couldn't understand why he was with me and he I was like you do so much god it's amazing I don't like I don't deserve any of this stuff which also might be quite jarring for people to listen to because that is not my public persona that behavior (laughs) and and he and then it sort of came out in conversation he was like you can't keep telling me I'm doing all this stuff he's like this is this is always how anyone should have treated anyone like oh, least God. of all you this is like the bare minimum and then it's so he sort of slipped up and he basically read uploads on how to be in a relationship with someone who's been in an abusive relationship and he and one of the things that came up is like they will tell you oh my god you're amazing I can't believe you're doing all this so like oh I don't deserve it and he's like that's because they don't realize how you are how to be treated with respect so they think that you're like lavishing them with gifts and like they they think they're being swept off their feet when actually all you're doing is being a decent person and he's like it's and one of the things he read is like it's really important to go no no this is normal this is how we treat each other like that is the bare minimum and then from from there yes we can like spoil each other and look after each other but yeah I didn't realize he'd done his reading (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing that's like I can hear the sound of many listeners saying, does he have a twin? <laughs> any brothers, any good friends that he can vouch for? <laughs> like, how, can we, how can we sort of clone this guy <laughs> into an army of good guys? It, do you know what? The, this is the thing is like, at first it was so difficult because I was, so I, again, I talked about it in the show, but like the very stages that I went through is, because um, he, knew, he knew my ex as well. We'd all work together on stuff. Do you want to give a, a short summary of, of the relationship that was... Yeah, uh, so... Just um, yeah, yeah. Answered. So I was with someone for about eight years. Um, so since your early 20s, so, you know, like, when you look back now, you're like, whoa, just mm-hmm. battling my way through a series of red flags. <laughs> just because you don't realise and, you know, like, loved up and everything. We were together for eight years and lived together and, and worked together. And then <clears throat> what happened about, oh God, how many years in would it have been? Uh, I don't know. But like a chunk into our relationship, I sus- things like switched 
and um they, they weren't great anywhere I can recognize now we shouldn't have been together mm-hmm. um but I was just very like loved up and kind of blinded and also I'm from the kind of like family of like you just work hard and make things work um and I had tried to break up quite a lot of times and including one occasion where it lasted for a long time and my mum was like no you've been together too long you should get back together and was also like there can't be two workaholics in a relationship because I was doing all of the emotional labor physical labor like financially like all that stuff um which now I look back as like well that was unhelpful and um, <laughs> even my my partner now had encouraged us to get back together um because they thought it would be like because we were friends it would just be easier for like the social group which is something that I know he feels horrific about now mm-hmm. anyway so long term relationship a, a chunk of the way in I don't know when maybe about halfway through I start to just things get weird he starts not sleeping and things get really weird and tense and I'm like what is going on and then this other girl starts appearing and there's all sorts of like weird little hushed conversations in corners and it's it's strange and then one night we're sat in the pub and one of his friends because he'd been working in London I was like hey like have you been looking after him and he's like oh yeah apart from that night he went missing and I was like what and then I could just see him really panicking and all this stuff stuff, and just more and more stuff building up and now to after that first time that my mate was like oh yeah he went missing I that night before we went out I was like oh I've just got this thing in my head is there anything going on you can totally tell me if the if there is, I, I get it. Like, but I just got these vibes and was like, no, 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 no. And like, no, it's just, I didn't, I didn't act like that. So that's when the gaslighting with that started. There had been loads of gaslighting. Now I recognized previously in the relationship. Um, and so this went on for years of me thinking that my gut was telling me something was going on. And the person I trusted most was telling me it was in my head don't talk to your friends about it. They all think you're mad. My friends going, you need to stop talking about this. But you're like, you're so, especially someone as me, like I'm so, I was so convinced. I was like, feel this. And like, yeah. And I just really wanted to know. And then, uh, then we broke up. Um, and then I was sort of being a bit of a cock end and doing material about what it was like to be cheated on. And I didn't know. I just felt like I knew, which was really not all right. Um, and being like, I'm sure he did kind of thing. And then people kept getting like drunk and saying like little snippets of parties to me. Um, and then one day uh, someone just like came out and said something. And I was like, huh, okay. And then just had this mad uh manic period where I thought my <laughs> chest was floating up to the sky while I was telling everyone because this has been going on for three years uh, and had, had never even though we'd broken up and everything had never admitted it and we'd have this huge big thing where because we worked together we had this like nine hour meeting where I was like I'm sure stuff is going on and you have lied all this time and we can't keep working together and I can't keep working hard if that's it's going to be based on lies and they were like, no, 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 no. And oh, I can't keep flagellating myself for this. And I'm punishing myself for stuff that's in your head. And then it all came out and I went and, but the only way I really knew is I went and met the girl that he, I thought he kissed, that he was, he'd been sleeping with, um, who had also been gaslit, shot Conrad. Mm. Um, and then it was just like this absolute m- crazy experience of being like, okay. And, and also like such a relief. It's so mad to have, someone sit back and go oh the biggest like sitting opposite this woman who's basically going oh yeah that your most defining relationship the person you thought you were going to be with forever is based on a lie and you're right and that being a relief 
it's such mm. a fucking mad thing to be like mm. I can't tell you how glad you are like I am that you're saying this so that all happened which is fine so I was writing the show about it and, and then they heard that I was like speaking up about it which is something I'd always like had never done before hadn't confided in friends about it like I talk about it now Rachel Fairburn she was like don't ever like hide from me again if you have stuff like this going on because I'm strong and I'm empowered and I'm a feminist I'm educated and I was like this cannot happen to someone like me I know the type of person in particular the type of woman in my head this happens to I'm not her so it can't be happening I'm too clever for this um, and then the weird thing is that when I started speaking out about it people were like mm, they just assumed I was lying because they're like, she's too clever for that to happen. She's, the, yeah, you're telling us this strident, mouthy woman who's so strong on stage was actually, you know, like self-harming in private and falling apart and thinking she was insane and, you know, feeling isolated and all this kind of stuff. So this weird thing of like this armor you've built yourself to be strong with is suddenly being used to like weight you down and drown you at the bottom of a river was really like really hard to deal with and still is now that I can I know there's people who don't believe me especially because then what happened is when I started doing the show about it they had heard so they had written a counter show about it in which they said that I was abusive um which was like but by that point I was like well of course they did yeah because I understand for I think their own protection of their own mental health you would have to believe that mm. because it's a, like a big it, it happens gradually I, I, I have like I'm not an apologist for gaslighters but I, I've given it a lot of thought and I see how it happens and how someone paints themselves in to that corner and they're not malevolent geniuses mm. they're people panic baby stepping their way in lies forward till they paint themselves into this corner and yeah that's what happened with them rarely conscious right like it's it's sort of just the way they communicate because that's what they know yeah, it is sort of a weird, benevolent, malevolent, one of the the, the one that's bad. <laughs> you know, remember language? Uh, <laughs> like it, it, it's an evil act, but it's not a. It's, and I think that's where the cleverness comes in, right? Like you can, someone can be very unintelligent, but still be able to gaslight really well. Totally. It's a different type of intelligence because that's the other thing as well is that they're like, even people who are like, yeah, but I always thought you were so clever and they were not that clever. So it all seemed a bit sus to me. Like when you were saying this was happening, they're like, well, how could they have masterminded this? And it's like, because it's not chess. It's Mm. not strategy. It's like, it's, if anything, it shows, and probably something to do with someone's childhood, a flicker of self-preservation at any cost. Yeah. So, you know, they just got to survive and get through yeah. and make sure they're okay. And sometimes that's the expense of people around them and even people they love. Like, that's me being my most understanding. I think there is an element of some people, like, especially with the stories I've been told are absolutely mind boggling, where it's like, well, some of that has to have been premeditated. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there mm. has to be some level of planning that goes on there. Um, but I don't think that was the case in mine. So, yeah, they were, they were doing the show and saying that I was an abuser. And and I knew that, that was a difficult thing. As in, like, I know that rings truer to most people who would see me on stage or not or not know me than, you know, like, if you just saw our stage personas, definitely it would ring true that I would be the abuser and, and not them, unless you're... I'd say someone with a lived experience. I think you can mm. listen to my show and go, 
because it's like they have a script the phrases they use are so like mm-hmm. everyone would be like exact lines you were saying are things that were said to me you even said like i even thought it now during this where you said that um they'd said i can't keep punishing myself for something that's in your head i was like yeah. oh yeah <laughs> that's such a classic yeah. what yeah. what else do you want me to do i you yeah know. i've forgiven myself you have yeah. to do that and you're like yeah. well, i'm glad you can sleep at night <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was really difficult and then also it just became like this is probably paranoia but maybe something i've spoken to you about before sort of came on the cusp of a time that i had started to do better and i really felt like as someone who's come up through like the northwest circuit and is really proud to have done that and wouldn't have done it any other way but it felt like a, a time when that world was sort of turning not turning its back on me but maybe i was becoming i i guess it's as simple as i have had like i think you know we're all this in this for the long run some people who started at the same time as me i was having breaks earlier than they were and it doesn't mean that i'm more talented it means that those opportunities were coming before them and i think that i then became sort of like slightly totemic for some of them of like everything that's wrong and like oh fucking you know and then whilst I'm then talking about this stuff on stage and I think that people wanted to believe that I was insane and a liar Mm. and a manipulator because that plays into yeah and she doesn't deserve what she has as well so that was so difficult like I don't and you know I'll joke about it on stage I'm not actually that desperate to be like that's not why I'm doing stand-up I don't think I'm not like please love me although I might joke sometimes but to think that I'm being misrepresented on what I am like I've definitely been a dick and a cunt and there'll be people who came up same time with me and be like I think probably even thought I was a bully because I've always been so fucking forthright in what I've thought and always spoken out about stuff um yeah but can I but I I mean and I I don't know if you're I don't know if you don't want me to say this, so stab me if you don't want me to. But I have heard stories about male comedians that are like, oh, yeah, then he uh, cheated on his girlfriend and uh, then he uh, kicked this guy in the face and then he burned down this house. <laughs> what a lad, what a legend. And then I've heard people say, oh, she, you know what? She didn't smile when I said hello. What yeah. a horrible woman. Like there is, there just is a gender thing in it of like, especially when women in comedy get success. And yeah. men on the same, um, not the same level, but who used to be on the same level. Still. Yeah, like timeline. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. 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 Yes, I do think that. And I also think that like a bit like anyone who knew me in school from the ages of like, I don't know, like uh, 16 to 18 would, would feasibly go, she's a fucking arsehole. But that is because I was an unhappy teenager with a not very nice boyfriend and a mum with cancer. Like, and I'm not very good at being like, ah, putting on it. You know, I would take out on other people. I'm quite a pugnacious person. I'm like angry at what's around me. Um, and the same, definitely, if people were saying and say, I remember being in the green room with her and she was an arsehole. I'd be like, yeah, definitely. But I, I, I'm sure I was. And I probably still will be now. I think I'm much more mellow and kinder now um, because I am not so chronically unhappy and angry with everything and I can't see that it's the relationship that principally is making me like that so I would never say like I'm this angel at all um but to have it like everyone gleefully believe that you are this 
horrible, horrible person um, was was really tough because you're like, yeah, come on, guys. <laughs> what was your level of preparation for all? Because one thing is, is that happening? But another thing is doing a show about gaslighting. And I guess knowing that most because it's so much in your head, like it's so much about trusting yourself and not doubting yourself and knowing that there probably would be people because there always are people who go, but are you sure or that doesn't sound that bad? Or, you know, like I did my the show about my um, psychopathic sadistic grandfather <clears throat> and I would still get, get quite a lot of comments from people saying, well, it doesn't sound that bad. Are you sure? You know, like you're overreacting, yeah. which is such a, it forces you to go into your head and go, right, I'm just going to write down all the bad things and go, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure that is very bad. Okay. You know, like having to ask my therapist, was it bad? She was like, oh yeah, you're 15 years into therapy. It was bad. Oh yeah, cool. Good point. Um, so did you have any, were you, were you distant enough from it that you could, did you, did you, did you have a tool in your head to be able to go back and go, that was a comment but they're not right I trust myself this definitely happened or did you have to go you know figure that out as you went along with it I was really lucky in that everyone who is around me who's very close to me so Adam who's in Goose who directed Mm. it um my partner was like my best mate basically um Edin Kath from Gaines, like the, like Will Duggan, like, you know, lots of people close to me had lived it and seen it as well. Um, and in fact, everything I talk about in the show, apart from one thing, which is a conversation between us, there are witnesses to. And like, there's so much I left out that was worse and stuff that I couldn't make funny. Like there's a there's some really dark stuff that went on that I've never talked about that I could, didn't know how to own in any kind of funny way and so I kept it about the gaslighting about this um about the cheating Mm -hmm. and the stuff that went along with it so yeah there was always witnesses so who could back up everyone everyone's name was changed I asked permission I think to be like I'm going to tell this story the only person I didn't ask permission um with but we did speak and they were amazing when I spoke to them is the woman that he'd been sleeping with so when we met up and had that and bearing in mind she was a symbol of everything I'd fucking despised for years because I just was sure that this woman sniffing around who's always at every fucking gig I go to is following me like following my boyfriend hounding him like you are we would be fine if it wasn't for you which of course isn't true it's all it was fucked before but like you suddenly you're a reason you're why I hate myself you're why you know like you're constantly comparing yourself. Are they going to be there? I'm not going if they are. All that kind of stuff. And then sitting and having a conversation with her and like her being absolutely amazing and, and her being through the ring herself and being really like anything I can do to help you, I will, was really great. And also there was a few times where um, the, what I didn't expect to happen is when I'd start telling this story, the behaviour would escalate. So rather than quietly telling me, um, I'm going to slightly quote a bit of my show now, but only because it put it right. So I basically say in the show, before he had to convince me that I was mad and a liar, but when I started speaking out, he has to convince everybody else that I'm mad and a liar. So that's what he started, a pretty like public kind of, just so you know, guys, this is happening and it's a mad person doing it and kind of don't believe what you read in the papers and I don't know why she's doing this and oh, she's doing this again and it's lies and lots of like, 
like social media outbursts and things like that. And there was there was one in particular that was what's really um, I don't know if this is a common manipulator thing, but what happened, especially with them, is they would take a grain of something that was true. And from there, they grow this tree of lies. Mm. So it would be something like I'll pick an example of something. It wasn't like um, she's 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 got my granddad's watch and she refuses to let me have it back. And the truth would be something like I'd sent the granddad's watch to be repaired and it was in a shop. And I'd said, here's the receipt, forwarded the email, go and pick it up whenever I've paid for it. So that's like an almost like for like example of the kind of thing. But publicly, it would be like she refuses to give me back this heirloom. It's so important to me. She's holding me to ransom. It would be all this stuff. So you're like, I can't deny that I don't have his watch and that he hasn't got it. So and like so it would start with a tiny bit of truth. And then this huge sort of like idea of you would play out. And you, you I mean, I didn't engage with any of it. Like <laughs> my motto with it was the Michelle Obama, when they go low, you go high is to like. I basically David Cameron did. We know when he fought the pig is like, just don't engage, don't acknowledge. And, and although all you want to do is go actually like see exhibit, but like that is, it's also part of the process to try and exhaust you. Mm. So I was like not engaging in it, not engaging in it. And just, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do it on stage. But yeah, the behavior escalated and escalated. And then once this just massive thing came out because someone had, a comedian I think well I know is known for gaslighting themselves snuck into the back of a preview of my show it was the first show I'd done where I was talking about meeting with a girl um and uh I I cried on stage because it was such a big and I it's the first time I'd ever cried on stage doing it and they had got on the phone almost immediately to this ex-partner and said she says this about you she says she's met with this girl who's who agrees with it so they had always and still do deny it um, and then this massive status came out that suddenly was also like, you know, I've not been perfect, but there's lies about this, lies about this, lies about, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, mm. and, and saying that it was crocodile tears and all this kind of like, and I, I was on my way to a preview and someone was like, you should see that this thing is here about you. And I had this enormous panic attack outside the, the Les Car in Sheffield. And I'm not someone who until my 30s had panic attacks. Um, and it was as a result of all this. And I was just like hyperventilating in my car and I just didn't know what to do. Cause at that time you're like, I don't know what to do to get him to leave me alone. But at the same time you're like, yeah, you do. It's not saying anything. And then you're like, but then what's all this been for? And I'm always going to be in the shadow of it. And also then they look right, you know, like, so it's this whole thing. And I remember just from her being uh, really sweet, but just not getting what I needed was like, come on, this isn't the Kiri I know. And so I like got up on stage in like a hoodie and jeans, which is not me on stage and shuffled through like half an hour of old material, absolutely covered oh, in tear no. marks and then got to drive home. And But the first person I spoke to about it who could make a difference was the girl that he'd been sleeping with. I messaged and said, I think I just sent it on and she was like, I, I've seen it. And she's like, I don't know why he like won't leave you alone. And hearing it from her was like, huge she's really she's really important actually and we don't really have a relationship now it's not like and now we are best friends um but I will certainly always be grateful for how generous she was in allowing me to tell her story as well she came to see one of the shows um which is something I wanted her to be able to do but I had to just get everything kind of right 
um yeah and it, weirdly it's the one that I've got filmed from Edinburgh and I I've got to watch it back by hate watching myself and but I'm probably I bet I can tell the exact moment I see her in the audience because it's quite a big thing to be like I'm not just telling my story I'm telling her story and I've got to be fair and the way I had made the show as well is I wanted the audience to feel like I felt so I gaslit the audience is the idea is that I would I'd basically talk about a breakup I talk about how he cheated on me I would reveal that that was not actually what was happening it was just felt right which is how it happened someone called me out basically for like a, a friend of Jordan Brooks and was like basically uh had sort of said oh I didn't know how I found out is him going oh, I didn't know that you knew about the cheating and I was like imagine that imagine sort of blustering <laughs> and then him being like yeah I didn't know, didn't realize you knew about it and I was like it was like poof someone had punched oh me oh my god which led to the meeting with the, with a the woman that he'd been sleeping with oh my god I had I had when I was 20 my first real boyfriend um I I had been I mean that's that's dark but I'd been in a cab where the cab driver had like threatened to rape me and I just about got out of it so I called my boyfriend at the time and I was like please meet up with me please meet up with me and when he came I was crying and he said I'm so sorry it was just a kiss and I was like sorry what and then that night he'd like made out with someone else and I was just like wait hold on <laughs> and he was like oh who told you I was like oh you're joking Fucking I, was hell. So I was just I was just laughing. I just started laughing through the tears. Like this <laughs> is not the time. <laughs> oh my god, that is so awful. That's so like tragic. a perfect scene from a really well written like Channel Four or Netflix like thing. <laughs> oh god, you, you, you asshole! <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you feel about this whole? Because um, you're right. You do have. I don't know if I want to say it, it's a persona. I guess that is not a bad word, is it? But you have this tough, seeming, strong being on stage and social media and everywhere else. So, but then you do talk about vulnerable things and you've always talked about vulnerable things. And I feel like if you were a man, people could much easier, ha- like it's easier to handle that, you know, the nuance and the, you know, the, the dimensions but then you do come into these situations where people go, yeah, but you seem so strong. How could that have, how do you deal with that from like a gas lighty point of view of, do you know, like when people keep telling you, no, no, that can't be true because of what I think about you. Do you yeah. have tools to deal with that sort of thing? Mm. Are you tempted to be less, I don't know, hardcore seeming when you, when you're on stage? No, because I think that was part of the reason I was even able to do it. And and that's one of the conversations I wanted to have. That was one of the main strands of it, which is like, so I want to have it on my terms and having a vulnerable conversation in an unvulnerable way was quite mm-hmm. important to me. So, cause it was a huge part of that show is taking, I've had someone tell me my reality and my truth and my story for years. So this show was me going, no, this is what actually happened to me mm-hmm. because I lived it. Um, so that was really important. And to do that in a sort of um, strident, forthright way. And I think that's huge problem with loads of the narrative around abuse and victims is that we have one idea of what a victim is. It's a huge problem. Like I, um, uh, like yourself, I'm a consumer of true crime, um, is that like in press and in every, you know, like element of things is there's a perfect victim, which sort of doesn't exist, but it usually has to be 
a white virgin um, <laughs> who's mm-hmm. sort of in a school uniform um, mm. and is something to do with the church and was it, it has to happen in daylight. Other than that, yeah. it's like, well, what did you do wrong? And what I actually found from doing this show about, um, yeah, it's so hard, like you're saying, is you're being gaslit all over again. Be like, I can't imagine something like this happening to you. Like, well, I guess I fucking made it up then, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was pulling my hair out for no reason. But the surprising thing is a lot of the people, women um I say people I've got about a thousand messages three were from men I'm not saying it didn't happen to men that three three felt compelled to message me and the rest were women um they were or I'd say 90% of them are clearly like take no shit run my own business got three kids also doing a degree on the side like these people can smell like this whatever it is and I think with me it's someone who's like like you know always earned her own money always run her own household you know always have been like like lady boss I guess is the gross phrase for it (laughs) um but is also a massive softy who's quite not insecure in like the traditional ways but like I just don't I've, I've never thought I'm a very good person I've always thought like why are my friends friends with me so it's not necessarily as binary as like I don't like my looks. It's not as easy as that. It's just a thing of like, I'm not, not enough, I guess. Um, and so they find that they can smell that. They don't even know that they can, but that, you know, it's like sharks don't know that they can smell blood. It's just the thing they have. And we'll go for someone like that. Cause also it's the last person you'd expect on your friend. Who's kind of meek and maybe physically small as well and very delicate and has a higher voice. And is you would keep an eye on her and every boyfriend she got with but your mate who like is the first to get involved if there's a fight between two men in the street and the person who's like, you don't fucking talk to me like that. You'll be like, she's fine. She's got it. But they're actually the ones who can never see it in themselves. And there were so many of the women who got in contact with me were like high achievers and women who were like juggling a lot and had been kind of tricked. Cause fascinating thing of it is like abuse. It often weaponizes some of the things that make you, good like it like I'm ridiculously trusting in like friendships and romantic relationships not outside anyone who's outside my inner circle very hands-off but with friendships I are quite bad with boundaries I'll weirdly let people kind of walk all over me which you would never suspect of me and um, it's been like a problem in the past and um, and the same with like romantic relationships like I am very someone I love like being tactile I love being taken care of you know stuff you would never probably think from the outside and like a big soft like romance I like being taken care of and not in like a traditional gender roles way per se but like I just want to be looked after and kind of protected which is so mad when you would see me on stage that any of that would be you know like occurring but yeah and and it's that thing all that stuff that is like softer and makes me nuanced was all sort of like accidentally like weaponized and also really honest as well how do you really how do you feel about the parts of you that are softer um do you have do you see a different value in the traits that make you strong and the traits that are softer um I used to, I definitely used to think like, well, hide these away, push these to the front. And like I say, because my whole life, I felt like I've always been fighting something, whether it's people's perceptions or physically people in school or whatever. Um, So it's like, they don't need to know about this stuff. And then that's why I'm like, 
like tr- loyalty is really hard. I'm like a ma- mafia boss as in like, well, if I let you see all that stuff and you betray me, that's it. Like it's so done. And it's not like, I'm not like a one strike thing. That's the other thing is like, I will like, I'm getting better at now being like, this is a problematic person who's probably not good for me. Um, but now I'm recognizing that I'm trying to find the balance of being honest in areas it's okay to be honest in so like my podcast is somewhere like Rachel and I have very honest conversations and guess more so on stage of being like not just saying things that make you sound good or clever saying things that you're actually feeling and thinking because um sometimes they can you know make you sound stupid (laughs) and make you look bad Uh, but that's like you know best foot forward got to lead by example if we can have honest conversations about stuff um, how does that, so how does that fit in? Because you're absolutely right. And I do think that's the way forward is this. Yeah. Basically being okay with seeming not perfect because that's the only way we can actually get somewhere, but that's a big vulnerability. It may not seem that way. It might seem reckless, but it is harder. It's less work, but it's harder physically, psychologically harder to, publicly say something that you're not sure if it's the perfect thing to say so that's you being vulnerable so how do you feel about that part is it hard yeah yes and I would say there's still so much I'm not ready to say yet like not as in like I don't want to get cancelled but like of course there's an element of that of like also when you try and speak with empathy and try and educate yourselves and operate in certain spheres I know that you will um experience this that you're held to a higher account than most people and certainly most comedians so you're like it's the embarrassment of like I guess this is part of the dialogue that's ongoing at the moment but like being called out being embarrassed being exactly the part of the problem that you don't like and want to fix and I can't say that I it's happened too much to me and I know I wouldn't behave well if it did. And that'll be some parts ego and some parts not used to being like told that having a problem with authority, <laughs> being told what to, that I'm wrong, you know. And so I'm only doing edging it forward in baby steps with my, in terms of my stand up is in like there's still stuff that happened to me, excuse me, that I experienced or that I did that I would be like, I could never come back from that. So like in terms of what I think about myself and what, my audience or an audience thinks about me so I'm still doing it on my own terms which isn't really showing any growth but I don't necessarily think we should have to like rake through the worst parts of ourselves to be good at this job because also like part of me is like I know it's enough for me to know that that person exists and that there's there's a box with their name on it there or their picture on it that age I was I don't need to open it and go through it right now like I, I know it's yeah. there. I'm well aware that it's there, but I'm not sure taking it on stage and opening it and going, can you all see what this is like would be good for anyone necessarily. Do you mean, is that a situation where you, you were the victim of the perpetrator? Um, I'd say both. Okay. Both. Yeah. There's definitely more where I'm the perpetrator and this is yeah. making it sound awful. Like I've just done and like the worst things in the world. But like, no, but so it's, de- no I think I know. So it's like, because I've considered, I did a post a long time ago about how I used to be super problematic on stage. And, you know, obviously still am, but not knowing it. 
Uh, and I was like, oh, should I include like an example? Like, should I say the things that I said on stage to give an example? And I really, I thought like, is it, you know, how will it come across if I don't do it? You know, what will people imagine that I've said? Because it's absolutely not that bad. But also people might see it and then be sad and I don't need that to happen either. And it was, I ended up not including it for that reason that, that would just be so that I could say, say, oh, I'm not this bad, but that doesn't change the fact that people reading that would still be affected. So, but I, I don't know if that's the perfect answer, but that's essentially it. It's just like, do you share, like you, you want to shield people from that, but you also want to own up to it and apologize. But as long as no one's hurt, like, that's why it annoys me when people go back through people's old tweets and go, Oh, in 2013, this person said that. You're like, yeah. yeah, but now you're just, it's still like hate speech and you're bringing it up. And of course people, and you know, if someone has not done anything to improve themselves since, sure, bring it up, like cancel them or figure out, you know, teach them or whatever. But if it's someone who's now doing good work, why, yeah. why do we need to bring it back up? And, yeah, you know, just, you're still spreading hurtful words. I think that about like, when you're meeting people and then you get told something about their past and like who are you meeting are you are you actually meeting that same person who holds those beliefs or would still make that joke or you know put that share that meme or whatever it is or are you meeting someone who has moved past that because also shit Sorry, I just um, elbowed off uh, my phone, which is what this is recording on. <laughs> um, because also, what is the point if none of us can improve or allowed mm. to improve? And like a most basic example of it is like, look at your diary when you're 11. Do you stand by that? No. Mm. Did you stand by that at 15? No. And so like, as long as I think it's someone who's made a genuine effort to educate themselves and move on, then yeah I think you can it's all part of like you know constant state of becoming and it's just whether I think someone's putting the work in I think some people aren't like do you know what I mean Is yeah. it, and I also think that most people are good at telling who and who isn't like who's being genuine like that's another thing of like it's great for myself but part of being with a partner who I think is wonderful and couldn't believe it or like when we got together and like what does he see in me is like a big part of the first thing was like well, I've got to be good enough to be his partner. So like something I never thought of doing was like working on like myself and my attitudes towards people and who I work with, who I meet, that kind of thing of like not just being abrasive and standoffish and telling people like it is and that being in a, a trait. I can do that and I still do that. But like there's a lot to be said for having softness as well um, and it not all just being stick, some of it being carrot and knowing who to be I'm not going to take your shit with and who to be kind and soft with. Um, and that's not even as easy as like, these are my friends and these aren't. And some friends that you've got to be like, no, sorry, mate, like lines drawn here. And there's some people that won't get the best out of them. Thank you for listening. Now, usually after I have had a conversation with a guest, I will ask them six or seven, eight, <laughs> depending extra questions that will go up on patreon.com forward slash Mopod for those who support it. Now, I did not get to do that with Kiri because uh, we ran over quite aggressively 
and I had a um, someone I needed to speak to straight after our chat, which, by the way, went horrifically wrong. First, uh, her microphone didn't work, and, like the other guest. First, her microphone didn't work, and then my computer just stopped working for three days. And I mean, it was a mess because she's one of the most fascinating guests guests I've ever had. So, in theory, I should have just kept talking to Kiri and then <laughs> rescheduled the other one. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is I will get a hold of Kiri and have her uh, answer the extra questions and it will come up at some point. Uh, and so then you can go and listen to the extra bits from all the other guests that I have done them with. Now, uh, thank you so much for supporting me. It is... It is... I mean, what a time. <laughs> what a... I think it finally hit me the other day that I might not get to perform till January. Or, I mean, who knows, right? Uh, in theory, my tour dates are still rescheduled for September, October, and November. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I promise to keep you updated, but I don't know. But it is very scary not knowing when uh, I'm going to be able to make money again. So this is now my main source of survival so thank you so much for supporting this show in however way you do it thank you for the one-off donations they have been wonderful a wonderful little treat thank you so much for being a patron and thank you for sharing the podcast and tweeting the guests thanking them for doing it and yeah i'm gonna say one thing that did, and i didn't, wasn't sure if i should say it or not it's a with it's a i think I think my style of, I don't know if you can say interview, interview because it's more chat, isn't it? But no, I'll just call it interview style. I think, I don't think everyone loves it. I know that I sometimes say very long, complicated, like this one, like uh, questions that aren't really questions and just me rambling for a bit and then saying, do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people don't like that, which is fine. But I th what I'm saying is, I think I'm good at this. And I think, and I, of course I can't be objective because it's my podcast, but I think it's good. And I base that on some of the conversations I've had with people on the podcast where I've thought, holy shit, I cannot believe that them saying this has now been recorded. Like, how valuable... This is so valuable to hear this particular person say this particular thing. This conversation is so valuable. And that's not me saying, oh, I'm the best person in the world. That's me saying, I'm sometimes very lucky to have access to these people. And I'm lucky to be able to ask the question that makes them say the things they're saying. And, you know, I've always been the person where people have said oh my God, I just told you this thing that I've never told anyone. Why did I do that? And this, I think, is using my my superpowers for good. And so I think it's a good podcast and I think I'm good at this. What I'm not good at is, you know, sending the files to, to Dave on time and uh, I'm not good at uh, booking guests ahead of time and getting in touch with big agents and stuff to get names of people I don't necessarily know. And like all the admin bits, I'm not the best at. And I've, over the course of the podcast, I've tried to have several 
people hired to try and do that for me and that's never really worked out and also it was too expensive but I I think I know my flaws and my <laughs> what I'm good at and I think I'm good at this I mean I hope like if you're listening now you will have listened to the entire episode and you didn't turn it off when Kiri stopped talking so you I'm assuming you either hate me so <laughs> so passionately that you also want to hear this rambly bit just to hate me even more, which is fine. I mean, I hope I hope you get some help. Uh, or you you agree, or you also think it's a good thing. And all of that to say is that I saw, and this is just good, and I know this is not healthy or good or rational or helpful in any way, and it might be a bit egotistical and grim, but... I don't know, I just saw an episode, uh, uh, an article praising another podcast host <laughs> uh, for being an amazing interviewer. And I was, apparently I was like, am I, uh... okay, this is the ugly bit. I was like, I think I'm better. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm necessarily better, but I think I'm I'm different in a good way. <laughs> And I, like, I know, I don't enjoy saying that. Uh, that feels really shitty, and I feel like you all hate me now. But I don't know. I, I don't know what the reason is. I've, I've had a lot of thinking about why, why this podcast isn't bigger. Now, that's not to say that I'm not thrilled that it is as big as it is. It's more trying to see it from like a. Uh, um, outside perspective, objective point of view, being like, okay, what can I do better? That's that's always how I look at it, right? How can I do this better? What does this person do that I don't that would make this whole thing better, right? That's always what I ask myself, you know? And yeah, I think I just had this little moment, which I guess is, I don't know if it's confidence or <laughs> delusion, but I was just like, am I being overlooked? which is oh it's such a shitty way of looking at it isn't it but I was just like what is the what's the reason what's the reason I've joined uh, signed up for what's it called Um, signed the podcast up for all of these awards where you have to pay 20 pounds to be considered and haven't even been nominated I'm like why why (laughs) I don't know I forgot what I wanted to say with this. I think I just wanted to say I, I do actually think it's a good... I do I do believe in this podcast. I really do. And I think I'm good at this. And it feels, I mean, apropos of our whole conversation, sometimes I feel a bit gaslit. Just a tiny bit. You know? Just like, what? And, I, and part of me is like, is it because I don't have many white straight male guests on? Is it because it's not a safe podcast? You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a, uh, it's, it's like it challenges some people and their beliefs and it's a very lefty social justice-y podcast. And like, is that the reason? Is it too heavy? And does it make people feel bad? And I don't mean like you guys listening because you get this, but you know, men, I guess is the, is the answer. <laughs> what I'm trying to say does it make men feel bad and we rather just 
hear a lot of silly stuff. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just not as good of an interviewer as I thought. Or maybe it's niche. Or maybe I don't know how to, you know, I'm a, this is me. You know, I'm producing this. I'm making it. I'm recording it. I'm doing all the work. Apart from, of course, Dave, who edits it. And <laughs> but, you know, I'm not backed up by a huge company. So there's no adverts for this anywhere. So all of, if anyone wants to know about this, it would be from you, you people or my own social media. Anyways, that was a very long, that was a very long thought. I also have not spoken to people for three months, so you are now my only friends. Hello. That was all I wanted to say. I don't know. It's just some thoughts I've been having secretly that I have not wanted to. And I couldn't say out loud to most people because it makes me feel like a, well, a bad colleague. And it makes me feel like a <laughs> a selfish, sort of big-headed, delusional person. Even though... Hmm. Anyways, I'm now going to just thank you for, <laughs> for being my supporters, for being my uh, patrons, and for helping out in any way you can. I do appreciate it. I do feel... This is going to sound wanky, but I mean it. I do feel like it's our podcast and not mine. Oh, oh my God, I'm so cute. Okay. If you subscribe to the podcast on Patreon, you and, and if you give more than $5 per episode, you become a friend of the podcast. You uh, get your name read out loud at the end, and that's going to happen now. <coughs> Thank you to Andrea Papillon, Andrew January, Andy Walker, Enya Knoblock, Anne-Marie Hepburn, Aretha, Autumn Blue Sky, Bamboo Bandit, Barry Nolson, Bethany Dahlstrom, Caitlin Kate, Carly Weston. Welcome, Carly Weston. You're new. Kat Posse, Cherry Windsor, Christine with a Y, Dan Rushton. You're new. Welcome, Dan. Uh, Danny Beckett, Daniel Rafashid, Danielle Johnson, uh, Dieter Bronberg Jensen, E, L, <laughs> E and L, uh, Emily Bindi, Emma Paranji, Felicity Tully, Fenella Dunn, Privacy of Sorosoroteratops, Galway Cass, Georgia, Georgia, you're new, welcome. Gillian Davison, Grace Ann, Hannah Paul Smith, Hannah Rose Tristram, Helen Van Dyke, Harry Minot, uh, Helen Jerina, Helen Jermak, hee hee, Honey Ritchie, uh, you're new, welcome. Jen Boyle, also quite new, welcome. Joe C, Catherine Norton, Kathleen Goodmanson, Catherine Williams, Kathy Draxelbauer, uh, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pillerson, Kirsten E, Kirsten Davidson, Chrissy Nicholson, Laura Ingman, Lillian Harry French, Hungered in the Bunker, Lindsay Boschniak, welcome Lindsay, Liz Cassell, Lola Phoenix, M Dash, uh, Maeve Houlihan, Maury Fraser, Manon Elin, Megan Roberts, Nicola Ellison, Paul Swaddle, Perpetual Motion, Pierre Fenneux, Rachel Ray England, Rachel Evenheim, Rachel Furley, Rachel Phillips, that's four Rachels, I wonder if Rachel will win. Ragdoll, Robert Knowles, Robin Cabo, Rowan Pierce. You're new. Welcome, Rowan. Samantha Jolie, Sarah Allen, Sarah Pluma, Simon James. You're new. Welcome. Sophia Ramsey, um, also new. Welcome. Susie Tyler, Victoria Greer, and Zoe Stephenson. Welcome, Zoe, as well. And then we have the list of the uh, contrary, contrary fuckers, the people who decided to give uh, $6.82 uh, instead of 5 So thank you for the... To the people who would like to be a bit different, Phil Scordis, Rianne Rivers, and Victoria Layton. 
this has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to all of my rambling if you've made it this far. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to Dave Pickering for editing this episode, Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to Justine McNichol for the logo. Thank you to Kiri for being a wonderful guest. You'll see the, um, the second half of this next week. This podcast was produced by Dying Alone Limited. Speak to you next week. Bye. Oh, pie.